The circular economy, or circularity, is all about reusing materials that might otherwise be classed as waste, rather than just throwing them away or disposing of them in a landfill. Circularity is one of the most effective ways to reduce scope 3 emissions in the construction industry. So how can we push the limits of circularity? In this episode, we'll take a look at a pioneering example. In Prague, capital of Czechia, formerly known as the Czech Republic, there's a really interesting project going on, the Mercury Project. It's an office building from 1971 that's going to see about 80% of its insides live on because the building itself is up for demolition. I'm very happy that I got approached to talk about this thing because I uh, strongly believe it's, it's something unique and uh, I'm very proud that I can uh, be uh, part of the team uh, working on it. Martin Zemanek, Skanska Central Europe, is the project manager for the Mercury Project. Martin, good to have you with us. Thanks for being here. Thank you very much for having me. Can you tell us more about this project? The story actually started quite a, a long time ago because uh, Mercury was built in 1971 as a prime office building back then. It was the, the pride of Prague, we can call it, and uh, one of the first uh, buildings to have ventilation back in the, in the 70s or at the beginning of that time. So uh, back in the, let's say, socialist era and uh, brutalist architecture, uh, it became an eyesore, really, in, in uh, the urbanistic sense. So uh, it, it almost seems that we are doing a service to the city, actually getting rid of it in that sense. But that's, that's what, we, what we want to talk about necessarily today, because it's all about uh, circular economy for us. And... Um, we took a unique approach when it comes to the demolition because we have a, uh, as as a part of uh, Skanska Commercial Development Europe, we have a plan to construct and develop an office building there. But before that happens, we have to take the previous one down. And uh, unfortunately, after those 50 years, uh, the current one does not fit the current market needs uh, for an office building. We tried to operate it for approximately two years until the end of 21. And uh, since then, all the tenants uh, moved out and we seized the operation of the building. Also because there were some hazardous materials in the building, uh, for example, asbestos, which we had to remove actually before we started uh, even thinking about uh, demolishing. So that's uh, generally the, the beginning of our story. Mercury is a really ambitious project. What would you describe as its main objectives? The main objective is uh, decarbonization. And uh, due to Skanska's very ambitious goals uh, towards carbon neutrality, we felt that it has to start uh, now. And uh, it was special to us because it's not a new development, which we are very used to here. Uh, And we've done demolitions in the past, of course, but not in this scale or scope. And uh, it was actually not my idea, I have to be honest. It was uh, an idea of my colleague Evany Kodimova. Our, our star of sustainability, and I sometimes call her the mother of circularity. And since then, I cannot really imagine we would do it any other way to minimize uh, the environmental, let's say, uh, footprint of our actions in all aspects of our work. Namely, uh, when we are demolishing something, we are thinking about how not to landfill it, how not to throw it away. And it's the same approach we actually have learned on our uh, commercial projects because we have ambitious targets when it comes to the amount of waste uh, sent to landfills. That's exactly the approach we took here when it comes to the demolition. And how attainable are are these objectives that you just described? Uh, We had the ambition to reuse, recycle uh, approximately 80% of all the materials in the building. And before we actually started that uh, assessment, we had a pre-demolition audit, which was a crucial part. 
and we teamed up with a company called Circle, who specialize in uh, the reuse of or uh, of waste in in general. And that helped us actually find some partners. So this story began in, in the beginning of, of uh, last year, actually, when we approached these partners, uh, which uh, have never really done anything in, in this big scale in the Czech Republic either. So it was new for them and for us, and we created, I would say, an excellent partnership uh, looking for unorthodox ways to, to find partners who would even be interested in, in our ways because we had to overcome a huge hurdle in the sense of uh, educating the market because nobody was really prepared for this. There is no legislation in place currently in the Czech Republic uh, forcing uh, manufacturers or or suppliers to maybe create even products which have recycled content. And how do you put the emphasis on the importance of these circular economy principles when you're looking for partners and so on? It's the, it's the first step and it's the most crucial one because we can have whatever on our mind, but if we do not have anybody to finish the process with, then it's a futile attempt. So let's say uh, we have some mineral wool, which we believe it's uh, in a good condition and we want to reuse it. That's the start, of course. Without that, you get nowhere. But if you don't have the partner that takes it and has the uh, machines and has a plant where you can actually do some post-processing to the wool, uh, I will give an example. You crush it into smaller bits and then you use it as bone insulation to in roof structures or, or things like these, which is actually what happened at Mercury. That's why I'm using it as an example. But if we did not look for that part, the partner proactively before we started, then it would block us time-wise in, in the process or uh, we would not be successful at all. We would just have a pile of mineral wool, which we would not know to do anything with. Finding the partner was one thing, but also uh, getting to know what exactly they want the material to look like to even take it. Again, I will start with an example. If you want to somehow reuse gypsum or recycle it, you cannot have any, let's say, screws in it or nails or or uh, tiles or, or whatnot. So the requirements were often very, very specific, and we had to adjust in our limited conditions that we had on, on Mercury. Okay. Looking ahead, what challenges are you preparing for? What lies ahead? Uh, we are going to start the demolition of the superstructure. And of course, there is a big challenge because we are moving into the exterior of the building. There is more uh, contact to the public because uh, Mercury sits uh, in the middle of uh, an urban area, which is fully, let's say, built up. There is uh, actually buildings, uh, residential buildings from three sides and a very busy, busy road uh, from the fourth one. So there is not much space around the plot. And this was also a challenge I, I want to come back to uh, even during the phase of mining of the commodities because we had to figure out how to store everything on the spot. And that was a very, uh, very tough nut to crack from the logistics perspective. So that was a tricky one. And in order to be successful and in, in order to be more successful than we even are, because we really feel like we are, we are pioneers with this approach. And uh, it comes to, down to having the space in a given time to actually store your materials before you send them away from the project. And uh, we were lucky enough to have a, a neighboring project, and we were also lucky enough to be a developer in, in Prague where we do different developments. So we even managed within the, the process we had to reuse some things like one-to-one. I will give an example of taking uh, tiles from one of the Mercury roofs and using them as a path in the community garden on our Port 7 project. Similar was with, with rails. We were quite successful when it comes to recycling uh, glass, but we could not find a partner in the Czech Republic. So we had to actually ship it to, to Leipzig in, in Germany. So it, there's like these micro stories about uh, each and every material. One of my favorites is also 
uh, wood, which we had uh, re recycled into uh, oriented strand boards. So about 50 tons of that material of wood, let's say scraps, was, was further crushed and then glued back together. And uh, over 2,000 square meters of oriented strand boards were made. So it's this almost, let's say, uh, it's almost heartwarming, I want to say, that, that we already have some concrete examples now. This discussion just makes me think about that this whole concept goes way, way back. I mean, if, if we look at the Romans, that was what they did. They reused the, the concrete, the marble, all the materials. You would never build from scratch. You would always use materials that had been part of the building structure. So I guess in some ways we're going back to our roots. Oh, it's, it sounds fantastic, and I thank you for mentioning that. And, and it leads me on to saying that this was also uh, kind of a struggle because if... if uh, it, it comes back to actually the materials that even the Romans used. They were very sturdy, natural materials. And uh, in the composite age, let's say now, where everything is put together from different sources, sometimes not known that they are perhaps hazardous. When we talked about asbest briefly today, uh, which was uh, used for fire protective uh, or fire retardant purposes. Nobody knew back then that it was, uh, it was hazardous to health, right? Now, I think this is like a story we will be talking about for quite some time, although it has its, you know, uh, ups and downs. And, and definitely we have wished so much to do more. But uh, but sometimes you just, you know, met with the cold hard truth and you have to swallow a few bitter, bitter pills. But uh, I think it's a, a lot about the approach, you know, because there can be things along the way which, you, which just don't go your way. But uh, maintaining that spirit, I think that's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a nice story to tell for sure. Martin Zamanek. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you very much. Mercury in Prague is a pioneering project that proves it can be done. But how do we push the limits of circularity in the industry? Gustav Liljehoek is a partner with the investment platform Urban Partners, which focuses on making cities more sustainable. Urban Partners' real estate investment company, NREP, has been building with circular solutions for more than 10 years, and is behind the real estate projects Upcycle Studios and Resource Rose in Copenhagen. They've both got circularity and recycling at their heart. Gustav Liljehoek has been one of the driving forces behind Urban Partners' sustainability work since 2012, and has previously worked with investments for sustainable development at the World Bank. Gustav, welcome to Shaping Sustainable Places. Thank you. Very happy to be here. NREP has developed properties with circular solutions for many years. How important is the concept of circularity for NREP as a, as a real estate investor? For us, and I think for most uh, companies that work with circular solutions in the built environment, upcycling and circular solutions is one tool of many that we have to work with in parallel. In certain projects, it's an important tool. In other contexts, it's uh, too costly or too difficult, and it's less important. That said, it is an important tool for the industry as a whole when we look to the future. It is a tool that we must scale up and must get much better at deploying than we are today. Could you tell us if you've identified some key success factors in, in what it's going to take to scale up circularity in the construction industry? Yeah. I think that's a great question. When we talk about building with circular solutions, it may, uh, at face value, 
come across as quite easy. Well, you just use a, another brick or window in, instead of, of the, the new one. But actually, for the real estate development production process and, and how we work together, this is a completely new business model. It requires new roles. It requires new ways of collaborating. When it comes to a new business model, what do you mean by that? And what will that involve? A typical project, it... It comes from us as an investor uh, or a buyer going to an architect and going to uh, another partner and uh, coming up with what is that we want to build. We then take that to an engineer and we take it to for, to, for further details. And those detailed drawings are then handed over to a number of entrepreneurs. And then the moment that those entrepre- an entrepreneur says, yes, I will do this project, then they have committed uh, within these contractual frames to deliver it with certain specifications, performance at a certain time within a certain budget. And that works today because uh, when they get asked, can you do this at this price? They can turn around to a materials catalog and their suppliers and say, okay, yeah, I need 200 windows with these measurements and these performance uh, characteristics, I can deliver that and it will cost me this much uh, and I'll have the quantity at this point in time. The problem when we work with recycling and upcycling solutions is that the windows at that point in time don't exist. We don't know where we're going to get them from, we don't know how, and we don't know the measurements or their performance today. The um, they also don't have the documentation. They don't have the certifications. So we need to then uh, find a way where it's possible for us in the value chain to work because sudden, together because the certifications are not there. The entre- no entrepreneur can take on the liability to deliver and they cannot price it. And then uh, ultimately the project will not happen. The, if we could, as a industry ecosystem, get to a point where there is a materials bank and where we have a regulatory and certification framework for reused materials that allows them to be incorporated into new buildings, then uh, this just-in-time uh, aspect of the production uh, would be addressed and we would be able to also manage the liability topic. Are there any other specific barriers and, and ways that NREP has overcome them? Uh, let's take the, um, the regulatory aspects. If you take the example of bricks, everyone knows what a brick is and knows its properties. When we cut out a segment of an old brick wall that has been standing there for 50 years and we want to move it into a a new building, then the properties, it's not like these bricks are bad bricks suddenly. They could have been there for another 500 years, right? But the moment that we take them out, then the certifications and the documentation of that brick wall does not follow with it. And that creates a much larger problem for us as an industry than it might seem at first glance. The construction industry is highly regulated with standards for uh, both performance, but also when we look at uh, what materials that you can incorporate and the contractual structures are also based on 
the standardized certification schemes or refer to them when it comes to the materials that you can incorporate. And uh, then if you do not have a, a product that is part of the linear value chain, where then the certifications sort of are part of that, uh, then suddenly this is very difficult. As an example, the first time that we worked with a specific solution for upcycling of brick walls, uh, then the um, challenge was that the zoning requires you to know exactly the color of the building. And it requires you to know the surface materials. And uh, that is sort of maybe sounds like a simple thing, but actually this was the first time that the municipality of Copenhagen in this case had given a building permit without knowing what the building would actually look like. So that involves having a, a real sense of trust with the local authorities so that they know that you're going to produce something that's going to fit in with their town plan. Yes, I think trust here is a key word because we know that whatever we have in mind when we start out on a project where we're so incorporating circular solutions, we will have to adjust. We will have to find ways to solve unforeseen challenges and that requires then trust in each other, but also then from a contractual perspective, being able to work together in new ways, because the current way of contracting does not allow for this. Okay, let's be frank here. Circularity often isn't the cheapest way to build. Is the market willing to pay for it? You're correct in that it is not the cheapest way to build, and it requires more time and effort as things are today. But we do see it as an element that with the right knowledge and the right partners, we can do it in a way where those costs and risks are manageable. We can also see from our own projects that when it comes to both the operational aspects of leasing out, but also when it comes to selling these properties to a future owner, there is a value attributed to these characteristics and we are getting a, a, a small uplift in value so from that. And we as an industry, we need to be able to incorporate that value in a similar way as we are able to assess that for an entry lobby to an office building, we're going to invest the extra money it costs to put in nice shining marble floors instead of something cheaper. Because we see that we are going to get that back in rents, we're going to get it back when we sell the property. Similarly here, we must be able to underwrite the positive values of investing into the extra cost it takes to, for instance, then have a circular solution. Today, we're not good at that. As an industry, we tend to only focus on the cost aspects of both circular solutions and other sustainability aspects. How do you see this developing over the years and the decades ahead? Uh, do you expect that the world's going to turn more towards circularity? While it has been a very slow journey, we as a business will definitely have to take our responsibility when it comes to improving our resource consumption and our resource footprint, but it will take time. So what is that would really change the dynamic? Well, it's if the economic equation, right? People have to make money on it. 
if city governments would simply say that your starting point cannot be to assume that you can just tear buildings down and use virgin materials to put in new ones without it, it coming at any cost to you. So are, are you hopeful this laggard industry is sort of can, can we be hopeful for that it can change? I think that we, we have the very concrete example of, from the last five years when an industry that for a long time was saying that uh, life cycle analysis or decreasing your carbon footprints, um, this was, oh, it's too costly and uh, it's too much hassle, it's too difficult. But the moment that the regulation says that you have to do it, the entire industry can do it in a snap of a finger. Suddenly, the economics are there. Suddenly, everyone is doing it. So that brings hope that this laggard industry also can change and address so a need to change very rapidly if the incentives are there to do so. Gustav Lillehoek, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you. Really enjoyed our discussion and look forward to see where we take it from here. There are a lot of challenges for a circularity project. And if you ask Martin Zemanek, project manager for the Mercury Project in Prague, there's really one important factor for success. In short, finding the partners before you actually start this, it's the number one priority, because otherwise it's just, uh, you are very prone to fail, unfortunately. We also spoke to Gustav Lillehoek, who offered us his insights on the need to develop a a new business model, an ecosystem around circularity, suggesting that we're going to see a need for evolving regulatory frameworks and certifications so that we can resolve liability and predictability when it comes to material choices. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out in the future. And if you've got any thoughts about this episode or ideas for new ones to come, don't hesitate to reach out to podcast at skanska.com. We'd really like to hear from you. This is a podcast from Skanska, a leading property development and construction group. To find out more about how we and others are creating healthy, resilient communities and spaces, visit us at foresight.skanska.com. I'm John Ambrose. Thank you for joining us as we explore shaping sustainable places.